right, well, good morning, friends. Have you ever known somebody who just loved to help? They were like really zealous and excited about helping other people. But not just somebody that was zealous about helping other people, but someone who's, who's so excited about it, you know it's coming from the purest of intentions and a good heart, and they just want to help so bad. And so they dive in to help somebody with a situation. But despite their good intentions, no matter how hard they try, they just hurt the situation more than help it. Well, I want to show you such a person this morning. It's a, a little guy, a little toddler who sees his mom, her mom is always every day working hard to, to set the table for the meal. And so he decides that he's going to be her big helper and he's going to help set the table and a really great intention to do so, but it doesn't necessarily turn out, I don't think the way that he intended. So watch this real quick. Okay, so first off, I can't believe that you laughed at that little kid when he fell down. He might have been hurt or something. Shame on you. Oh, but it's so funny. I mean, you know that he was like, oh, mom's going to be so happy this morning and he gets to help. And it just, no matter how hard he tries to help, he's just hurting the situation. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning, particularly not how to hurt a situation by helping, but how to help without hurting. Last week, if you weren't with us, we talked about and kind of celebrated really all the life change that we see happening inside this body, particularly how people from the city are coming to us and having their lives radically transform as they interact, as they initiate and start a relationship with us, but then also taking a look at probably our greatest opportunity for growth as a local church and not just serving the people in the city that come to us, but us very purposefully and intentionally going to the people of the city to serve and to help them. And so the reason uh, uh, we're going to talk about helping without hurting this morning is because we want to zoom in and take a look and understand that our mode of helping matters. Our mode of helping matters. It's not just enough to have, have good intentions. We also need to be wise in how we help so that in our good intentions, we actually bless other people and not hurt other people. And so particularly, we're going to look uh, at a couple of things. But before I jump into that, I just want to say as we talk about this, we're really looking at this morning helping people um, who are in poverty. So helping people who may or may not be homeless, but for whatever reason are dealing with issues of poverty, material poverty, and how do we come alongside them in such a way as God calls us to to truly help them indeed. And there's something unfortunate as it relates to the church when we talk about this issue. 
And what that is, is that uh, we've chosen largely one of two paths. The first path is that we look at people who are struggling with material poverty and, and, and we look at them with disdain. And we look at them and, and decide that, hey, these people are in this situation exclusively because of their own decisions and they have no motivation whatsoever to help themselves. And if they would just get busy, they wouldn't have the problems that they have. And you're going to learn this morning that that simply is not true. The other mistake that we can make as a church and what we've done largely is we have punted the responsibility of caring for the poor to the government. And we were never meant to do that. The church was never meant to pass off the responsibility to care for the poor, but rather we carry the primary responsibility to love and care for all people in a way that is a blessing to them. And if you didn't know, we can offer something to the poor that the government simply can't which is an answer to the greatest need that they have, which is a need to experience healing to their brokenness, forgiveness for their sins, hope where there is despair. And that only happens through a relationship with who we know as Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, our Lord and Savior. And so this matters. And the mode that we help with Matters, And so there's four particular things that we're going to look at and talk about this morning. And you're going to hear from me from a little bit, and then you're going to get an opportunity to hear from a good friend of mine. And I think it's going to be an encouragement to you. And so as we look at the motive for helping matters, I'll go ahead and give you a way to remember it. If you can remember the word mode, you can remember what's important and how we help. And the first one is that we want to help with the right motive. The second one is that we want to help while dealing with the origin of the problem and not just the outward appearance. We want to help through discipling and we want to help through empowering, M-O-D-E. And so we're going to walk through each of those. And so my first point this morning is that helping without hurting starts with having the right motives. Starts with having the right motives. Okay, so picture this. You're driving down Camp Bowie. Should be pretty easy to imagine. And you come to the intersection of Camp Bowie and Brian Irvin. And standing there, or sitting there at the corner of Camp Bowie and Brian Irvin, you Uh, see this man. It's probably happened before. Or maybe you're not over in our neck of the woods. Maybe you're closer towards downtown and you're driving around and you happen to see this woman. Or maybe you're not on the streets driving around at all. You're going in and out of businesses and you bump into this man. I think all of us can relate. This is not a foreign uh, interaction or an uncommon interaction with people who we might encounter here in our city. And here's why I show you those pictures, because I want you to stop for a moment and imagine yourself sitting in your car and you're at that intersection and you see that man or that woman. And I want you to think about the last time that happened. And I want you to try to recall largely what were the thoughts that were running through your mind? Was it, oh, I need to check my work emails and you conveniently pull out your phone as an excuse to look down, not to have to 
lock eyes and engage with this person who is there on the corner. Or maybe it's that you uh, want to know that, let this person know that they're loved, but you really don't want to spend a, a lot of time with them. So you look and you, you give a quick wave, but not long enough to engage or lock eyes with them. That would draw them towards your vehicle or draw them towards an interaction with you. Because we're uncomfortable and because we don't know what we're supposed to do in that moment. Or maybe it's that we're filled with uh, guilt. We're filled, filled with guilt that, that we're in a position where God has blessed us, so to speak, in the sense that we have a car to drive and a house to live in and we've never worried about where our next meal's coming from. And because we feel guilty about this person's plight in life, we roll down the window, we give them a $10 bill not because we truly care about helping them, but because we want to release ourselves from our guilt and remove the burden that we feel. And the quickest way to do that is just to give them something and then walk away as if we did the big thing. And we didn't. Or maybe it's that we truly do love them and we're filled with, with empathy for the plight that they have, but yet we still see them as someone who's incapable of helping themselves in any way, shape, or form. So we try to do everything for them. And in doing so, remove from them an inherent dignity that they have, that they can be a productive member of society, that they are themselves gifted by God and able to produce and be contributing members to the church and to society at large. And in our really empathetic and loving attempt to help them, we, we do more harm than good. Those would all be faulty motives to help someone. And so what what is the right motive? How can we start with having the right motive so that we truly help someone without hurting them? And it starts with this. We see it in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 or 27, and it says that uh, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. This is what that verse says, and this is how it helps our motive. It says that all people... Every single person is created in God's image. And because of that has inherent worth and value and dignity. And so what we, how we apply that to this situation is we start by viewing this person on the corner or in the store that we interact with as just that, a person. Not as a burden, not as an interruption to our lives, but as someone who God has created, as someone who, who God loves and desires to thrive and who has given abilities to thrive and they just help need, need being freed up to succeed and to thrive in those ways. And we, so we start there. And not only that, we see ourselves with them as equals, that we are not better than they are, that we are not above them. Proverbs 22, verse 2 says this, that the rich and the poor have a common bond, that the Lord is the maker of them all. Romans 3, 23 would say that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us are created in God's image. All of us experience brokenness in our lives, and all of us, to the same degree, need Jesus. We're all just in different paths, in different 
journeys and we have an opportunity to help one another. And so we need, in order to truly help, we need to, from the heart, see this person as valuable and worthy to be loved. And we can go no farther to truly help that person until we have that understanding and that perspective and that motive in our own life. And I need to tell you this morning that I have not always had the right motive. For a long, long time, I viewed someone in material, who was living in material poverty as lazy, as a burden to society, as an interruption to my life and my plans. And because of that, I harmed a lot of people strictly because I avoided them. And it's only been through personally understanding this concept of the imago Dei, of the image of God that everyone is created in and that everyone deserves to be loved and valued and I'm no different than they are. And in a moment's bad decision, I could be in that same place that I have begun to, to realize and to walk and to serve and help in a way that is truly loving indeed. And so this morning, as you thought back to what was running through your mind the last time that you encountered someone who was in material poverty, if it was anything other than that is a person who God has made, who needs to know that they are loved, the first thing for you to do this morning is to repent. Is to repent. To seek forgiveness from the Lord and to reorient your heart to approach people with the right motive, understanding who they are. And so helping without hurting starts with helping from the right motive. And then the second thing about helping without hurting is that helping without hurting requires that we discover and deal with the origin of the problem. Um, A couple of uh, months ago, well, about a year ago, Hurricane Harvey came through Southeast Texas and I have family that live down there. I have a huge network of relationships that live down on the Gulf Coast. And so I had the opportunity to, to go down there a couple weeks after the storm with a group of people to help with alleviation efforts after the storm. And uh, something happens in just two weeks' time. Every single house that had water in it had black mold growing three-quarters of the way or 100% of the way up the wall. And what we were there to do was to help these people gut their house, to tear everything out that had been damaged. And to do that, you were required to wear a certain type of respirator. And so I went and got it. I followed the instructions. I did what I was supposed to, but I came home and had the worst upper respiratory infection that I had ever had in my entire life. And so I did what any prideful, independent uh, human being would do. I went to CVS and I got Tylenol sinus and I got Mucinex and I got every self-help remedy, over-the-counter remedy you could, and I just went to town. And you know what? A month later, I was still sick. As soon as I stopped taking any of those things, the congestion came right back. And so finally, I humbled myself before a doctor and said, okay, doc, what's going on? And had an infection and he prescribed me something to specifically target that type of infection. And you know what happened? I got better. And I felt great and life was good. And so the reason I got better is not because I, was, I kept trying to treat the symptoms, but because I went to someone who could help me identify the root cause of the problem and who could therefore apply the appropriate treatment to, to deal with it. And so I want you to imagine again that you're interacting with someone who's in material poverty, that, that man or that woman 
on the street and you look at them, I want you to ask the question, why are they there? Why are they there? From at face value, just, just looking at it at a, at a simple view, you might say, well, they're there because they're hungry or because they're thirsty or they have no place to stay. And yes, those, those things are true, but the vast majority of the time, those issues of hunger and thirst and homelessness are merely symptoms of an underlying problem. And so we have the responsibility to care enough about this individual to stop and to take time and to listen to them, to listen to their story and to hear and to help discover what, what is truly the origin or the cause of the problems that, that, are, uh, that are going on here. And uh, a lot of times what we'll discover is that uh, someone who, you could talk to a hundred different people who are dealing with material poverty and you could end up discovering that there are a hundred different root causes of that material poverty. And so if we come in and we try to only treat the symptoms or we try to treat every single one of those people in the same exact way, we are going to be ineffective. And so we look for ways and, and opportunities to help by identifying the cause. And if it's a lack of knowledge or skills, we seek to educate. If it's oppression by powerful people, so maybe it's a, a prostitute who is on the corner and who is stuck in this cycle, it may be because she is being oppressed by powers that be in this community. And what we're to do there is not only give food and water, it's to come alongside and work for justice for her. It may be that this individual is there because of consequences of their own bad decisions in their life, consequences of sin and disbelief in God. And so how we would deal with that issue is we evangelize and we disciple and we teach them the truth about who Jesus is and the goodness that comes from trusting in and following him. Or maybe it's that they do lack simply material resources because of a crisis in their life. And so we come in and we, we supply that need. Or maybe it's that but for whatever reason, they have broken relationships all around them. They don't have a single relationship with anybody in their family, either because of decisions their family made or decisions that they made, and they're completely isolated in life. And so what do we do there? We come alongside them and we help them in the process of amends and reconciliation. So not everybody we encounter, most people we encounter aren't just dealing with the crisis issues of food and shelter and water. There is a much deeper and broader underlying cause that we need to identify. Jesus, talking to the Pharisees, says something related to this where the principle applies. And he says, woe to you, in Matthew 23, 25, and 26, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but the inside are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish so that the outside of it may become clean also. Meaning this, like, hey, if we come in and we truly seek to help people without hurting them and we help them deal with the root causes, the, the external symptoms will largely go away and take care of themselves. And so let's step in and help people with the origin of the issues that are, that are going on there. And so what can you do specifically? What can you do to help in this? It's just to listen. Take the time to stop and engage with this person, to listen to their story and to eat. Like who doesn't get hungry? When time is available, grab, uh, invite them to come and grab a meal with you. 
And over the course of a meal, you're meeting a crisis need that they may have in that moment, but you're building a relationship with them that's going to continue. And so here's what you may be thinking as well as, well, hey, how do I know if I, uh, if I should do this? What if it's dangerous? Well, use, use wisdom. And so if you're a woman, I wouldn't encourage you to pursue a lasting relationship with a man who's in this position or vice versa. Use wisdom here. But where wisdom uh, would move you to act and to intervene, all of these things make complete sense. And so we want to deal with the origin of the issue. But because the church is not just another social justice organization, we don't stop with meeting the tangible needs in people's lives. We can't stop with just meeting the tangible needs in people's lives because we know that the greatest need in anyone's life is to have their spiritual problem dealt with, their sin that separates them from God forgiven, their hopelessness met by a God who provides hope. And because of that, every interaction and every conversation that we have, all of our good deeds need to be accompanied with the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, Something amazing happens when as we serve and as we help people with tangible needs in their life, with root causes in their life, and, and we, we produce, as we do those good deeds, we produce goodwill, which means we gain trust with them. And as we gain trust with them, it makes a platform for us to then share the gospel with them and invite them to come and be a part of a local church, of the body of Christ. But here's what also we need to know in that. Our good deeds are not simply a Trojan horse for us to be able to share the gospel. Which what I mean is this, we don't only do good deeds so that we can share Jesus with, with people. No, we, we do good deeds and we help people simply because they're deserving of being helped. Because they're created in the image of God and because they are to be loved and to be cared for. And it just simply adds fuel and makes the message of the gospel more believable because now all of a sudden we're not just telling them the message of the gospel, we're living the message of the gospel. And it will truly bring about change in people's lives should they choose to respond. And so our our helping, helping without hurting is always discipling. Helping without hurting is always discipling. We are always looking for opportunities to come alongside people, not just to meet their physical needs, but their spiritual and emotional needs as well. And so we come alongside them um, to help in that way. And then here's where um, I might lose some of you. Paul, when he talks about this issue of, of, of having a discipling life, doesn't leave us room to stop with, a converse, with one conversation or one interaction. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, he says that, I, he, that he has such a fond affection for the church in Thessalonica that we, so the church that was with, with him, were pleased to impart to them not only the gospel, but also their own lives because they had become very dear to him. So this is what truly Jesus is asking of us as his hands and feet as we deal with the materially poor. He's he's asking us not to stop 
with handing them a care package out of our car or learning their name. He's asking us to invite them to come and be a part of our church because they're welcome here. He's asking us where wisdom applies to invite them into our home. Invite them to to have a meal with us and to invite them into our community groups and to be as much a part of our lives in this church as anyone else in this room would be. And so the call to help without hurting is a call to relationships. And the greatest gift that you're going to be able to, to give someone to understand the root causes, to disciple them and to empower them is a relationship with you. Um, imagine this, that there's that guy on the corner, that woman on the corner, whose greatest need in life is a relationship with Jesus. And you're sitting there, which means that God has someone in the presence of that purpose, who's, of that person, whose sole purpose in life, whose greatest purpose in life is to tell that person about Jesus. And so when you're sitting there and you're wondering, what am I supposed to do here? Just remember that God has you in that moment to share with that person about who he is and the life that can be found in Christ. And now you won't always be able to pull into the parking lot and get out and have a long conversation with that person, but you might be able to establish a meaningful relationship with them, even in short windows and opportunities of time. You can put together what many have done is just a care kit, which is a gallon-sized baggie. And inside of it, you put some water, you put, you put some non-perishable food, you drop in there a gospel track, and then you pre-write personal letters that let them know that you're going to express to this person that you wish you had more time you did in that moment, but you don't, but you would love to invite them to, to come and see, to come and be a part of a fellowship that you're a part of where we care about who God cares about, which is them. And you invite them to come and you give them maybe a phone number, a way to contact you or a place to find you, which would be here where you meet them and engage with them. And then you start the longer relationship with them should they choose um, to respond. And we begin to disciple this person as we help them and as we seek to serve with them. And so helping without hurting is discipling. And then the last one of those four is that helping without hurting is empowering Helping without hurting is empowering. The church, the body of Christ, has always meant to be a group of people, an expression of God, who helps other people uh, become free. Become free from addictions and sin and burdens that may entangle them in life, and then also free to be someone who is deploying gifts that God has given them natural talents that God has given them to contribute to the life of the church and the health of a community around them. And we can't do that if we're trying to do everything for somebody. We can only empower others when we view them not as projects that we have to rescue, but as partners who we walk alongside. We empower people by walking alongside them as partners um, in this life. And um, Robert Lupton, who's the author of a book called Toxic Charity, says this. He says that we can't fulfill the purpose of the church 
or of the fulfilled purpose of helping other people by doing for others what they can do for themselves. Never do for the poor what they have or could have the capacity to do for themselves. He says somewhere else in that book that our kind charity, if it's doing for others what they have the capacity to do for themselves, may be the kindest way to destroy someone's life. Because what happens as we look at this empowering or this, if we're giving everything one way, we're not inviting this person in to participate is that we can create dependence and remove that person's dignity by reinforcing a message to them that they can't do it when they can. God desires for them to. But when we serve with them as a partner, we, em- we empower them and produce freedom in their life and affirm their dignity and value as a person. And so we want our serving to be empowering, to illustrate this to you biblically. God's word speaks to this in in Galatians chapter six in two particular verses about how we are to walk alongside each other as partners. In Galatians chapter six, verse two, uh, uh, Paul writes, he says, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Well, that word burden in the original language refers to a boulder so big that no person could carry it on their own. And therefore, we are to come alongside and carry these burdens, these boulders together. But then in verse 5, he makes what seems to be a contradictory statement when he says that each person will bear his own load. What? What does that mean? Like, how can we bear each other's burdens and then also tell each other that you have to carry it yourself? Because that, the word load in the original language doesn't refer to a big boulder, but a backpack. A load that um, is small enough that this person can carry on their own. And with the principle that this is unpacking is that we are to help one on another, but every person has a part that only they can play. Each person has to be willing to participate and carry and do their part in their recovery or do their part in carrying their own burden. And so we are to do this um, in a partnership. Speaking of partnership, one of our partners here in the city called The Net speaks to this in a way that is really helpful. And they say that we seek to walk alongside those we serve as equals. And so we're not reaching down to pull someone up. We're walking alongside them and we're doing so as equals with them on this journey um, together. And so our disciple or our, our helping in order to not hurt has to be empowering. And so again, the, the, uh, the acronym for that to make sure that our helping is not hurting is that we serve with the right modem, motive. We look to understand the origin or the cause of the issue. Our helping is always discipling, centered around helping people come to know and walk with Jesus Christ. And then also our help is empowering. We we are not doing things for people. We are doing things with people. And so that's like the theory of helping without hurting. But what's the practical application for you? How do you do this? The next time you see someone or encounter someone who's in material poverty, practically, what should you do? So you can write this down. The first thing is simply begin with prayer. That's it. Begin with prayer by praying that God 
would remind you that this person is someone who's created in his image and is worth being loved and valued and served and helped. And then pray with that person as you begin that interaction. The second thing that you can do is listen. Listen to their story and just get to know them. And better yet, listen to them while you eat. Whenever possible, seek to meet right in that moment a real immediate material need that they have. And as you do so, listen to their story. As you do that and as you hear their story, share the story of Christ and share your story. And continue the relationship and showing them truth and giving them the opportunity to respond to it. And then lastly, serve alongside them as a partner. And so as you discover and identify the needs that exist in their life, go with them and help them figure out what are the next steps that they take from that moment forward. And just doing these simple things, you can tangibly show up in someone's life and help in a tremendous way without hurting them. And again, it's one thing I think for us to uh, talk about this as a topic and as an issue, but I think it's a completely different thing and it gives more context and realism to this issue in our city when we get the opportunity to hear from someone who has been experiencing or who has experienced material poverty and homelessness. And so I want to introduce you to this morning to a good friend of mine, um, Rick Warojas. So please welcome Rick with me. Come on up, Rick. Say hello to our friends, Rick. Hello, everybody. <laughs> well, before first service, you mentioned that you were nervous. Are you still nervous? I'm not that nervous anymore. <laughs> well, uh, Rick had said, uh, as we were talking about doing this, that the, the one thing that he was worried about most was how we as a body would receive him and whether or not we would judge him. It's likely, it wouldn't surprise me, if many of you in this room, that this is, the not, this is not the first time that you have seen Rick, because you may have engaged him out on Camp Bowie. And uh, if you would... Please just give a really loud welcome to let him know how much we love him and care for him. So let's do that now. Thank you. Thank you very much. And so, Rick, I uh, want to spend some time giving you the opportunity to, to share with our body your story. It doesn't start with you being here in West Fort Worth, out on the streets, uh, but that's where, that's where a lot of this picks up. So let me give a quick little bit of your biographical info background. There's a specific moment that I want to pick, pick up in your story with. And so I grew up in Dallas in a single parent home, correct? And around the age of 13, found yourself kicked out of the house, on the streets, looking for how to make ends meet through a series of circumstances, ended up, you ended up over here um, in Fort Worth. Uh, and got to a moment where things started to look like they were moving into the right direction for you. You ended up starting to get some knowledge and develop a trade. And so pick your story up right there and tell us about what read, led to a really big moment for you. Well, um, like I said, I was finding myself without a place to go. Um, but you... Uh, Like I said, I was finding myself without a place to go. Uh, 
I pursued seeking an area in which could help me. Um, I tried to join the service. It didn't work. Ended up joining a trade school. Went away for two years, uh, studied and learned how to be a, a licensed electrician. Um, got married, had a kid, started a life, things were going great, so I thought. Uh, wife ended up leaving. I moved her from San Antonio to Fort Worth and didn't uphold my responsibilities as a friend and as a husband. I worked, I paid the bills, but I left her at home with the child and really didn't pay too much attention after that. Um, in turn, she left. I was unexpected. I didn't expect that. Um, but when she left, she took a lot of anger with her and refused to talk to me. And it kind of hurt. She was supposed to be my best friend. We had a kid. In order to deal with that and move on, I just kind of didn't do that. I, um, so when we were talking earlier this morning, you were, uh, and even a couple weeks ago, you were telling me that when she left and took the kids, took, took your, your kids, uh, that you just kind of gave up. So talk a little bit about that and then talk about where you went to try to deal with, with that issue. Well, as I started losing stuff, house, cars, jobs, I started drinking um, more heavily, uh, which led to other substance abuse problems, which led to ending up losing everything and uh, relationships with my, my kids, uh, jobs, house, cars. Due to situations that I put myself around and the people that I associated with while I was in my addiction led to a lot of jail time, a lot of dishonest acts such as theft, um, which I was not good at. And so What makes that, you think you weren't good at it? Because I ended up in jail a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so when, so uh, when thieving didn't work out for you because you kept getting caught, what'd you turn to? Well, it's funny you say that. I started being honest and telling people, hey, you know what? I need help. I'm out here on the streets, don't have an ID, I don't have a job. If you need help with anything, I'm an electrician by trade, but I don't mind mowing the lawn, picking up trash or whatever you might need help with. A lot of people didn't have work, but they offered me cash. Um. By that time, I had gained, gained an addiction. That I could not control. I would get sick. And without a dose, I would be sick all day. Um, so I focused on just keeping myself from being sick. Uh, all the money I made, and the habit that I had kept me the shame, the embarrassment of where I had ended up kept me from being around people. So I isolated myself, just looking for that wake up, looking not to be sick. 
it got to a point where um, I was getting tired of going to jail. I was getting tired of being out here on the streets. I was like, okay, God, where you at? Around that time, Watermark came around. And, uh, but I had already known Christ, and I had already built a relationship with him. So before we get to the Watermark piece and bumping into people here, in one of the stints that you were incarcerated, you met some men who were a part of a, a ministry that's here in Fort Worth called Victory Temple. And those men... You saw other guys going there and their, their lives being changed by this Jesus. And so you got to a point where you decided to check it out. And so talk about how the way that those guys invited you into a relationship with them and invited you into a relationship with Christ was instrumental um, in your life in helping you reconcile to God and, and really put you on a journey to where you are today. I was hurt. I was an addict. Um. Didn't want to be in that situation any longer. Victory Temple's uh, vision is go disciple sin. Go to the streets, find the lost, the homeless, the sick, down and out, bring them in, start discipling them. And when they're ready, launch them off to continue in the vision. While you're there at the home, it is a, it is a ministry. It's a discipleship program. They don't teach you to go look for work because your work is Jesus Christ, being a disciple, making disciples. Um, Jesus said, go be a, he's going to teach us how to be fishers of men. And through that ministry and then even through I've interactions heard. that we've had over the past several years, Jesus, had, you've learned that the hope and the despair that you were experiencing Jesus had something to say about that. So what have, you, what have you learned about that? It's not about me. It's about Christ, and it's about everyone else around me. And um, my experiences that I've gone through and the hurt, the pain, is so that way I can help somebody else up. Um, we all suffer from the same thing. It's called life. We're all here together, but we're all here for one another. And, uh, and the main thing is Jesus. Yeah. I was... Can I share something? Go right ahead. Earlier you were saying about um, how to help people. It's not necessarily money. Every Sunday you walk into a donut shop or you walk into a store and somebody out there is asking for money. You feel the Christian thing to do is give them a dollar, give them some change, or help them out in that manner. But what if you just stop and you don't give them a dollar? You don't buy them nothing to eat. You pray for them. You pray with them. God teaches you how to open up your heart. As you're praying for that person, you realize the blessing and how truly blessed you are. And it also teaches you how to better pray for that person and others to come. Uh, it's about planting the seed to me. Yeah. You know, because that prayer will stick in that one person's mind. And heart as it did me. It's, it's so, Rick, as someone who's been on the streets before, uh, what encouragement would you have for our friends if they see someone this afternoon who's on the street or who's in material poverty? What would you tell them to do? Pray to God to open up your eyes and show him 
ask him what he wants you to do first. And then look at yourself and see where you can actually be of use to that person. Um, and do so. But the, to me, it's prayer. If you can't help in any other way, pray for that person. And um, offer him, man or woman, brother, sister, offer him up to the Lord. Because um, that's what God did with Jesus. You know, and uh, that's what we're supposed to do. And then, Rick, um, we were talking earlier, and I asked you the question. I said, hey, if, if something happened, like we're all human, none of us are perfect yet, and you made a decision, and next week you're back out on the street, your first response was, that ain't going to happen, which I like. Check it out. I said that wasn't going to happen to me. Um, but what if that happens to someone our friends are engaging with, and they get rejected. They don't have a good interaction, but then they start seeing that person again out on the streets or wherever they may see them. What, what are we supposed to do? Hey, you make friends with somebody and you, you pray with them and you invite them into your life, nothing changes. Just because they relapsed and went back to where they went doesn't mean you have to change. If you're truly a friend and you're truly trying to seek out the Lord in everything that you do, then you'll still be with them. Help lift them up. Stay there, give them the encouragement, and be that friend that they don't have. Yeah, don't give up. Rick, there was a lot of times over the past five years, as I've known you, and as other people here have known you, where you, there were times when you were doing well, there were times when you relapsed, there were times when you would come up to us and give us a hug, and there was times when you would avoid us. So what are some of the ways that, that we have interacted uh, you with us, us with you, that were an encouragement to you along the way, even if we didn't know it? Showing, um, not necessarily giving, but being the body of Christ, you know, actually doing what the Lord tells you to do, go forth, you know, and make disciples. Y'all never gave up on me. And um, y'all continue to seek me out. Y'all never judged me. Y'all continue to help me. Y'all continue to say, hey, Rick, what's going on? Even when y'all knew I was not doing good, but y'all never said nothing. Y'all continue to encourage me, lift me up, yeah. and be there for me. There's a lot of times by myself at night, and I would think, and I would talk to God, and the first thing he would bring back to my mind was the prayers that somebody had given me. They didn't give me money, but they prayed for me. That's how I say it's so important that you plant that seed. While that person has his head down, and you're praying, and you're learning how to pray, and how to open up your heart, you're actually seeing what the struggle that he's going through. Yeah. You're actually feeling it yeah. if you're doing it with your whole heart. Yeah. So, um, and so, Rick, you're uh, right at four months sober and four yeah. months of walking faithfully with the Lord in this season. Uh, but that's not all that he's doing for you is you're choosing to make good decisions and walk with him. There's some other fun stuff that's happening as it relates to relationships. Share with our friends what, what's going on there. Wow. You know, I've been praying all my life to get my family back in my life, get my kids back in my life. Uh, just things would change. Once I decided to say, hey, enough's enough, and really 
buckle down and just say, okay, Lord, if you're going to use me, use me already. You've already taught me a lot. I'm ready. He knocked the taste out of that addiction out of my mouth, and um, he started restoring. I got my family back in my life. I got my children. Well, I'm getting there. I'm having <laughs> conversations with them through the phone, but, uh, you know, he promises to restore me. All things can become new. And uh, he says that he will restore me. And I hold him to that promise. So I know one day my kid will be right next just like you right there. You know, mm -hmm. we'll be talking one day. And mm -hmm. Things are going to be better for me. Um, I believe that with yeah. all my heart. But it's not for me. I believe it's for somebody else. And, uh, because I should not be here. Um, but I am. Yeah. And I give all thanks and credit to God. Amen. And I thank him. Amen. Well, Rick, as, uh, as we close up opportunity, if there's one more thing that you could share with Watermark Fort Worth, this church family, who you're now jumping into, you're with us at Regional Monday nights and taking other steps to become even more a part of us. Is there any last thing that you would want to share with our friends as an encouragement and a challenge? Don't mess up the opportunity to pray for somebody today. Even if it's just prayer, like I said, you know, Don't miss up that opportunity. <laughs> you know, people are placed in your path for a reason. God's got that reason. He knows what you're going to do. You pray for, for the knowledge or for what he wants you to see out of that. And I guarantee you, he's going to show you. You just let him, let him take control. That's right. Pray for him today. And when you see him tomorrow, pray for him tomorrow. And when you see him the next day, pray for him then and move towards them. Build a relationship. We all thank our friend Rick. Have you. Thank you. Well, Rick, as we close out, would love for you to pray for us and then we'll stand and respond in worship. Will you pray for us? Yeah. Thank you. Um, dear Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity that you've given me to share. Thank you for the family I have here at Watermark. I want to ask you to bless and guide them. And um, keep them safe today. Help them to reach out and help them to do your will and your bidding, Father God, with unselfish hearts. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. 